0: Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gather together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. I think it's an experience that many, many women have and don't get to talk about or air or feel like people understand their sort of very complex feelings about it. In today's episode, I speak with Amber Clevin, my friend, a parent and educator, about her experience with having a baby prematurely, having a baby in the neonatal intensive care unit, mental health challenges, and many things that go along with early motherhood. We talk about the ways in which life prepares us in the difficult things we face so that we can be better equipped to face other challenges. And we talk about disability from the perspective of a parent who is processing a recent autism diagnosis. And just a heads up, because we're moms and there is little respite from childcare during these days of COVID, you'll hear a tiny bit of child noise in the background. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did, and use it as a springboard for your own learning. Amber Clevin is an educator in the ed tech industry, a former high school English teacher, and a lifelong learner. Amber is a kind, intentional, and thoughtful human and mother. She is such a wonderful example to all of us. She holds a master's degree in composition and is, at the moment, continuing her education in instructional design. She has been married for 12 years to her husband, whose doctoral work in biochemistry has led them on many adventures across the US, including Bozeman, Montana, where she and I were colleagues in our MA program. Since then, she and her family have lived in Portland, Oregon, where Amber became a mother to Thomas, who is now four. They have since moved to New York, where they currently reside. Amber is passionate about mental health, having survived PPD, anxiety, and PTSD in relation to her experience of Thomas's birth. He was delivered at 31 weeks gestation due to PPROM, which is preterm premature rupture of membranes. After recovery, she served NICU families as a member of Oregon Health and Science University's Family Advisory Council, and as a peer group leader at the Ronald McDonald House. So she's obviously wonderful, but she's also a badass weightlifting queen who, in her own words, is, quote, learning to love and appreciate the incredible body I get to inhabit. I just love that. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Diamonds for Our Children, Amber. um, We're going to start off uh, by having you go ahead and read the letter that you wrote to your son, Thomas. So,
1: Amber, without further ado. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Thank you so much all right so i wrote this a few weeks back um after um after spending some time with thomas so here we go dear thomas i just put you to bed tonight included a funny bout of hiccups that kept you awake after telling me i'm upside down with your legs on your pillow and your head in your blankets I reminded you that getting to sleep was important so that you could grow and learn and be ready for your day tomorrow. After writing your body's position, I felt your hiccups fade and you drifted off to sleep. Before they went away, your hiccups reminded me of one of my favorite parts of my pregnancy. In the mornings before my work alarm went off, your body practiced hiccups, your head low in utero, your body upside down in mine. I relished being able to observe you through tiny ticks before I could see you. It was a connection we shared before I knew you. I hope we stay connected for a long time so that you can always carry my love in your precious heart. I've shared parts of your origin story with you, but most of me thinks the stories aren't ready to be told. Maybe I wasn't ready to tell them. I'm ready now. Number one, you were born prematurely. My sweet boy, you arrived in my arms before I was ready. I tried really hard to keep you in my belly until you were ready. Your plans were different than mine, and you were born so fast after I tried for one long week to keep you healthy in my body. Our modern world was ready for you, and with the help of excellent science, Western medicine, and a lot of caring hearts, you came home to us after 27 long days and nights in the NICU. Most mamas get to take their babies home with them after they are born, but you had to stay with the doctors and nurses each night so they could care for you in ways that mama and daddy couldn't at home yet. We loved you so much, but needed to needed help to take good care of you so you could be healthy and strong and live with us forever. Thomas, this was so hard. I wanted to do a good job and be the best mama, but sometimes a mama's body can't do what we want it to. That's what happened to you. I want you to know that I was so sad after you came home because I thought, you should have, that I thought I should have done a better job to keep you safe. I don't know what you felt when you were born. I don't know what you thought when I left every night to go home, leaving sacred moments of feeding, bath time, and diaper changes to trained nurses and not me. I hope you weren't scared and I hope you always knew that we were coming back. I hope that when I was depressed, you still felt my love and knew that I would get better. There's so much to say about this part of your life that will take us years to unearth. We can talk about this any time, my love. Please ask me about it any time. Number two, you have come so far. Your life started as a fight. You had to learn to breathe on your own, maintain your body temperature, and eat by mouth instead of through a tube, unlike most babies who are born ready to do that all by themselves. You learn, though, in time. You always get there. When it was time to speak, you took extra time to get it right, but worked so hard to use sign language to tell us what you needed. We made it work together. Last year, you were diagnosed with autism, so we keep fighting for you. We fight so you can stay at the school that takes such good care to teach you skills you need in kindergarten. We fight so that the people around you understand that you are not defined by your diagnosis and that it's part one part of your whole being. We fight our own minds to stop the analysis of neurotypical behaviors against yours, knowing that it gets us nowhere. We fight against our own self-doubt. We try to do a good job. You are a bright, happy, social four-year-old who loves space, school buses, Thomas the train, racing your cars and building train tracks with daddy. You can read. You are getting good at jumping and climbing. You are so happy and you tell me every day that you feel very great. You love your dog, Jill. You missed her when we went to our cabin trip and didn't bring her too. You are brilliant and dynamic and funny and creative. Number three, you are wanted, you are loved. I love you so much. I tell you every day and I hope that you hear me. Daddy and I wanted you and we were so lucky you came to us. I get to be your mama every day, Thomas. Life will be really hard sometimes. I want you to remember that you have survived a lot of hard things already as a baby and as a big boy. And I know that when things are difficult, when you are sad and when you feel alone, you can make it. I want you to know that you can call me and I will help you. I will always help you. I want you to know that you are my sweet, precious baby boy and that you belong on this earth. You deserve to take up space. You are allowed to speak up. You get to be happy no matter what. It's your right to have a full tummy and sleep comfortably in a warm bed. Most importantly, you're allowed to be loved. Just as you deserve these things, so do others. Be kind to them. Speak genuinely. Give authentic love. Help others when they are hungry or sick. Try hard to do the right things. Be the warmth that you love to receive. You are an incredible gift. I love you, Mama. (laughs)
0: i i love this letter it says everything that i think um that i think i wanted to say and and in such a way um you know without knowing that that's maybe what i would want to say um you said it Mm -hmm. and also you say it in such a a sort of warm and concise way that's uh, you know that's easily grasped so thank you for Mm -hmm. that um i don't know the first time i read the letter i was i was just a baby <laughs> <laughs> i was just crying because uh, you know so many of the the things that you want to share with him are universal things and yet they're so personal and individualized to him and i think it's such an interesting phenomenon that that we we want to share these same things and yet they're only they're only him they're only for Thomas right when they come from you yeah
1: yeah yeah I mean I see him I mean I'm his mom he's my son we have that um kind of link um I I mother him so my motherhood is sort of um what am I trying to say it's you know it's tailored to him it's something like my thoughts about like his well-being and my day-to-day care and things like that they are tailored for him but kids are kids are kids and um, you know, I feel like probably the same things that I give to him, even though I packaged them up for Thomas are, you know, kind of can be given to multiple, you know, to children.
0: I, I was struck, um, in the beginning of the letter by when you consider what, how he might have felt while he was in the NICU and you, and you had to go home at night. And I was thinking, you know, I, I think so many times we hear a, a NICU parent's um, perspective, and rightly so, um, but very rarely do we think about the fact that a that a, a NICU infant might have emotions um, and might be confused yeah. or might miss you. And, and that really struck me. Um, can you talk a little
1: more about like how did you come to? sort of thinking about how he might have. Yeah. So there's a couple of things at play there. One is that I think about, you know, when, when babies are born in a kind of quote unquote normal or uneventful, um, unremarkable way that they, they room in their, like in their room with their moms and you're, uh, you know, according to any set of experts, they're like, you know, keep them close to you. Um, Never let, you know, like make sure they know your scent, uh, you know, try not to have other people hold them or whatever, you know, any of the things like spend as much time as you can get to know your baby. And it just sort of struck me as a a thing that when you're leaving the NICU to go home for the night, because you don't room in with your baby, that's something that's nobody even really gives it a, a, a thought. They're just like, okay, yep. You have, you know, you can come anytime, but you can't stay. And, you know, you have to lead your life as an adult who has needs outside of taking care of your baby. Um, you have to go home and shower and you have to eat. You have to pay your bills and you have to um, take out the trash and things like that. So those are the things that are done that in a, in a, again, normal circumstance, your baby would be there with you, maybe next to you or in a little basket or something like that. But um, here you're just kind of doing those things postpartum as your own individual while your baby is elsewhere. And so, um, it struck me, you know, um, you like, yeah. they do, they have people who come in volunteers who will come and hold your baby for you. If you're, if you can't be there and you know, if maybe you the parents are long distance and can only come up a, you know, a couple of times a week or something like that, volunteers will hold the baby because babies you know, again, in a normal circumstance, we know that they need touch and they need love and communication. And you just spend that, those precious few weeks being with them as much as possible, feeding them, you know, um, and just establishing that bond. So clearly the baby benefits some way in that. Um, and that's why we do it. And so just, having that removed from the equation was like, okay, well, I'm pretty upset about this. So how does he feel? You know, I feel like I'm really letting him down in, in some way. So does he comprehend that or is he just sort of happy to have a full belly and he's warm in this little plastic box in the hospital? Uh, Is that enough for him? Um, And those are just the things that, that, that went through my mind was, is, is this enough? Does he feel, does he know that this is not the real Thing? Like, this is not the way it usually goes, or am I just sort of projecting feelings on an, an infant who is just just getting basic needs met and is fine with, you know, how things are going?
0: I, I think it's so um, telling that, you, you know, you bring up these sort of best practices, these things that many, most um, mothers, at least in the West, are told and and I just say in the West because that's mm-hmm. my experience, but um, you know, are told up upon an a quote unquote uneventful birth, you know, and all of that has to fly <laughs> out the window when you have a NICU baby. And so then the counsel is to do to basically be okay with the opposite of all of these things you were trained in as you were getting ready to have a baby, right? all of these ideas of what is best for the baby, suddenly what is best is that you're not going to take him home right away, um, that you're not going to room in. And it's only best because he needs the, mm-hmm. the fragile sort of medical care um, or intensive is a better word, intensive medical care. I feel like that's such a, a lesson in parenthood Um, right away, like right off the bat, that sometimes the thing that is best for your child, this particular child, right, is going to be very, very different from all of the advice that you might have received.
1: Yes, 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 absolutely. So all of the expectations shift, and you know, I mean, that's, that's a given, right? But feeding expectations, like something so basic. Like I was, this is so funny. I bought a, like a chest freezer. Cause I was like, great. Like we're breastfeeding. I'm pumping. I'm going to have like this great supply. Just like, it wasn't even a second thought. It just was a thing that was going to happen because that's quote unquote, just like what you do, or that was my plan. Um, um right. You know, you plan on like sleeping even like he was kind of extra fragile. Fragile is a good word and we had to be really careful about about his sleeping because he was like an early like he came home before his due date so we had to be extra careful about sleep safety and things like that and then i'm also thinking about just i don't know just like breastfeeding for example as well that was we talked about feeding a bit um that was something that i just thought was going to be like he's born we breastfeed that's it and that like all of your plans are they have good intentions but then everything is just sort of flipped over and it just didn't happen that way and to go back to your point about best, best practice other people can make it happen and they're like they i think there's a feeling of validation and like I'm, I'm doing the right thing because this thing worked out for me. For example, going back to breastfeeding, that's something that's still kind of sore for me because it didn't work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I pumped exclusively for five months. And in five months, I was, I was desperately tired. I was desperately depressed. And I was just like, this is a thing I have to give up or I'm going to die. Um, like, like I, like I'm going to die. Like something has to give or something in me is just, it's just not going to work out. And so that was one thing that didn't work out. And, you know, I processed it and it was, it was okay. And we fed him formula and supplemented with breast milk for as long as my supply lasted. But that was a thing that had to give. And then in comparison, there were women around me who were in my mom groups and, you know, friends from high school and things like that, who just, it just was like breastfeeding just was, and it was for, you know, two years and everything was great. And it was the best thing for them. And they were very happy about it. And it was just one really hard thing for me to, to redefine those standards where when he was born, he got donor milk from somebody else, which was an incredible thing to get, but it wasn't mine. And they didn't ask me until after they had given it to him there, you know, they said, yeah, um, we gave him donor milk. Does that sound good? Is that okay? And I was like, yes, of course I want him to have the best and get exactly what he needs, but it wasn't until after he had it that they, that they authorized it and and I signed the form. Um, So just lots of things that play there. Just, I expected breastfeeding to be just a a thing we did. Um, But, you know, he started it with a tube in his mouth and then in his nose and we learned how to feed him and um, he learned how to eat from a bottle and all of those things. So it's just, just a lot of missed expectations and, Guilt and things that sort of carry over even four years later. I wish that I, I see women breastfeeding. Like, I'm so glad that it's working for them, but I'm also still so jealous that it didn't work out for us.
0: I wonder if our society's sort of obsession with yeah perfection and with um, doing things the right way. I I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you processed through that, you know, how you, how you were able to say like, I'm going to reset this standard because, um, because that pressure is so great and perhaps contributes, I I don't know, but maybe it contributes a bit to the, this feeling of soreness that you described remains. So
1: I think sort of, I'm thinking back to the time it was, Like I said, it was about five months after he was born and it was just this, um, cycle. It was a cycle of, um, every three hours during the day you would pump. And then overnight you would, you know, you'd allow yourself a five hour stretch of sleep before you'd pump. And then there was just this grind. It sounds awful because you're doing this great thing for your baby. You love your baby. You want the best for him. But at the same time, it was so taxing just getting up with him to, you know, he would, he would get up to eat, you'd feed him and then you'd pump. But like what you'd be feeding him was not what you expressed at the time of pumping, nor was he getting any nutrition from me. So it's was this sort of double task of feeding him and then pumping milk to feed him later. Um, and then, you know, just that that whole kind of performance. And at some point then I was just yeah. like, just so tired. And I had gone back to work and it was just something that like that had to give. So it was... Not, it was just a thing for survival, I think, where at first it was dictated that he needed to be tube fed because he didn't have the ability to swallow because he just wasn't, his reflex hadn't developed yet. So it was a thing that you just, we accept that this is how he needs to eat. You know, this is what we need to do until we can work with him enough to sort of take advantage of his swallowing reflex to teach him how to to eat and even then at that point when we'd bring him home it would take him like we laid him on his side we had a like a low 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 bottle and we sort of took breaks and took like 30 to 45 minutes or so to feed him each time we needed to eat so that was part of the process and yeah I mean I, I feel like I need to say at no point did I ever resent him or feel like man, what a, what a hard thing, Thomas. Like <laughs> this is, this is so hard for me. Cause you're, cause you're here now. It was, it was a thing we did out of love. You know, we were tired and, and sad and things like that, but it was never a disappointment in him. Or like, it was just at the time I had to kind of pull the plug, I guess, metaphorically and literally was like, this is affecting my quality of life. Other people are doing this well, but it's not working for me. And as much as I want to have grit have persistence, have determination, um, you know, work hard. And like, this is like, you know, all the bootstraps thing coming up, like, Oh, well you mm-hmm. just do it. You just like, do you love your baby? Then you just do it for your baby. Or, um, mm-hmm. how, like, it's just kind of like a, how far are you willing to go and how much is enough that people are seeing that you're going far enough. And like, who sets the marker? It just opens up all those questions. Like, where do I get that idea in the first place? That Absolutely. that that's even a like a standard or a measurement that people would measure you against. But they do. Not everybody, but they do. So, no, they but do. it was just a very fraught thing. Um, I remember just kind of explaining to my husband, like, I can't do this. Do you think it's okay? What you know, like, what's gonna happen? Um, spoiler alert: He grew up to be fine. Uh, he's normal and healthy and wonderful, and he. Was formula fed, and <laughs> he just is, and he's fine, and it's Yay. all good. Yeah. So um, those are the things. Like there's just lots that's thrown at us. That do the best you can, and if you're not like, even if you're still doing the best you can, like just keep trying a little harder because maybe it will work. Or one mm-hmm. more kind of side note is that I went, you know, I I talked to his pediatrician, I saw a lactation consultant, um, and things like that, and I feel like I did the work to make it happen, but there are always people who go that extra extra mile and I just had to draw the line. You know, I, I didn't want to, I just couldn't make it an all consuming thing um, because I just, I just, I don't know. I just couldn't, I couldn't survive and be like a a person um, in the full sense and maintain this sort of expectation that nobody was putting on but myself, but was informed by a lot of what other people say and do and sort of put forth um, into the world of good mothering
0: and i think i mean the thing that you that you said earlier was so on point right this idea like well don't you love your baby enough to do anything that you can like yes <laughs> the the answer to that is obviously yes of course i love my baby enough i love my baby yeah. more than you can even understand um and part of loving my baby that much is that I have to make sure my cup is full enough
1: to pour out. I don't think I realized it in that sense. I think it took me a long time of, of just sort of realizing, first of all, you know, this is this is postpartum depression, this is postpartum anxiety, and this is like manifesting in ways that I don't understand yet because I don't have the tools because I've never done this before. I feel like it's a bit easier to say, like if the thing is working for you, it's it's easier to be like, well, why didn't it work for you? You know, like did you try X? Did you try Y? Oh, yeah. well, it's not working. Well I don't understand. So I don't know. It was a hard thing. Like, yes, I tried, um, I tried so hard and <laughs> it was too much and I had to stop and like do do I hate that? Yeah, I do. And am I going to get over it? Probably, but I don't know. It's one of those lingering things that that people continue to do successfully, and it just it seems like such a an easy win, or just a um, like such a natural thing that. That you know, I know it's a very difficult thing, even though it is natural, but it just, in my uninformed, unex- like inexperienced mind, it was something that was just going to happen for us because it happens for lots of people and it's, yeah, it just didn't work out.
0: And I think we attach so much the idea of failure and success to motherhood, um, that I think being able to accept that a thing didn't work out, um is also yeah. a negotiation with feelings of failure, whether those are self-imposed or imposed by society. And so I just want to acknowledge that and and affirm yeah. i think um if I may that that you are not a failure <laughs> um, by any stretch and I think you know, I think Thomas has absolutely the best mother that he that he needs and the best mother that he could have. At this point in the interview, Amber and I transition a bit to a discussion about Thomas's autism diagnosis. Before we listen to this next part of the interview, I want to preface our discussion with clarity about where we are each coming from. Amber shares with us that Thomas received his diagnosis about a year ago, when he was three years old. So as she says later on, she's playing from a script she's never seen before. As a mom of an autistic child, and as an autistic myself, I want to acknowledge that this is a really tough role to play, especially in a culture such as ours, where we are bombarded by ableist messages, messages that privilege typical neurotypes or non-autistic people, and messages of toxic positivity, and what the disability community calls, quote, inspiration porn. These latter messages can seem sympathetic to the disability community, but are not, in the main, perceived that way by them. These can come across in the social media videos we've all seen of the popular football player asking the girl with Down syndrome to the prom, or the America's Got Talent clip of a deaf person having a great audition. In fact, these messages of toxic positivity and quote-unquote inspiration use the disabled experience to make abled people feel good, and they fail to account for the full dignity of the disabled person in question. The field of disability studies has been hard at work developing good theoretical language for this, and you can find great material that explains these concepts on social media. One great resource is Stella Young's TED Talk entitled, I'm Not Your Inspiration, Thank You Very Much. Another great place to find information on this concept is, believe it or not, TikTok, where the disability community is out in full force. An excellent person to follow right away is disability studies scholar and TikTok creator, Robin Rossigno at Auteach. That's A-U-T-E-A-C-H. With all that said, I want to say I appreciate the journey that each of us is on toward a better understanding of each other. And encourage us to interact with each other with love and charity, no matter where we are on that journey. As Amber and I discuss, one can't know what one doesn't know. And we are so immersed in ableist paradigms, it is easy to make mistakes. So I encourage us all to move forward in love by listening to autistic voices and centering their experiences. we rejoin our conversation, I asked Amber about something she'd said when she was adjusting her expectations of feeding Thomas while he was in the NICU and when he came home. Amber explained earlier that she and her husband just accepted that Thomas had to eat differently than other babies, a sort of radical acceptance through which they just accepted what he needed and carved out their own path. And I wondered if that had any connection for Amber with Thomas's identity as an autistic person. Identity yeah,
1: as an autistic Yeah, that's a really interesting connection. So I would say yes. I feel like it gave us some practice into just letting go of what, like, normal is such, oh, man, it's let's, that's, that's a rough one, right?
0: The idea of normal. Like,
1: yeah, is like the so normal, of being normal. We have a def- yes. like, oh, how was your birth? Oh, it was fine. Normal, whatever. Like, I had a, you know, he, he was delivered out, vaginally. He was delivered via C-section. Like, both of those are like pretty normal for us. I don't know. Um, that's a, a different topic, but we have sort of mm-hmm. a defined standard of what normal is. So, you know, the table was flipped at birth. He came nine weeks early. He couldn't eat by mouth, and by all accounts. Um, he, like, he was very healthy and wonderful. He was just too early. So our challenge was getting him to be to be able to eat. And so that was something that we negotiated over many months. I think he was about six months old. It was sort of a a strange thing where he, I stopped pumping and he just then suddenly began to just take bottles down with ease. So that was, I think that's another source of like, Oh, did I not, you know, did I, should I wait, you know, two more weeks? Um, yeah. Right. So that was an introduction to a different route that, you know, we accepted that he had to, like, he had to be fed through a tube and, you know, we, like, we would try to breastfeed, Uh, in the NICU, you know, we would turn to, um, putting like using a gavage, which is like a vial that you put, um, that's connected to his tube that you, that the gravity pulls it down into the tube into his belly. Um, and then you sort of use a, like a plunger to put the rest in if you, if you don't know what that is. So that was, that's that's what you had to do to survive. (laughs) Like that's how we got his food because he couldn't Mm. eat from a bottle. He couldn't, um eat from breast. So then kind of fast forwarding present day, the short stories that early interventions came into our it came into play for us when he had a speech delay and that sort of opened up some developmental testing and things like that for autism since he wasn't exhibiting like the social Cues and things that on track or normed kids exhibit, so that opened us up then to an autism diagnosis, which happened a little over a year now um, when he was three. And so a lot of the things then he he's in a preschool that's a special ed preschool that's wonderful. And so that's where we're at, (laughs) and we're we say okay, that's what Thomas needs. Yeah, you're right. It was it was what it it's what had to be. Where we're just rewriting the script. Um, We got our own script. We got our own direction.
0: Yeah. But, and ultimately like at the very, at the root of accepting the way he needed to be fed, um, accepting his identity as autistic, accepting that you have a script that, that is new and hasn't been pre-written for you. Like at the very root of that, it sounds to me like all of this work that that you are engaging with and the ideas that you're engaging with getting him into therapy and doing all of these things at the bottom of that right is this sense that mm-hmm. this is this is my son mm-hmm. this is Thomas he's a person so we're going to do for him what he needs and that doesn't necessarily mean like that he learns to communicate like a typical child but that he yes, learns yes. to communicate in a way that's effective for him right and so like all of this is about like when we talk about acceptance it seems to me like underneath all of this these things that you're doing is this this goal that he like you say in your letter right that he he is deserving of living a full a full life and being happy and being healthy. Like all of these things are, are just a thing he deserves because he exists. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even, I don't think I have anything to add to that because you know, he's like a person who is like you (laughs) said um, and he has basic needs and some of them, even like the basic needs are uh, they just need like a tailored approach and that's okay. It's okay. And <laughs> he's getting and what he good. needs. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know, you know, okay. like these are things that don't cross your radar until they happen to you. I didn't know about that much about the NICU. I knew it was a thing. Yeah. I didn't know about having a child with autism and what that means to, like how that impacts his life. I, again, you know, I knew autism exists. I knew it was a thing. I didn't know um, intimately about it until it was a named thing in our lives. So there, I guess my, like one of my points is that there's so much, (laughs) so much about people and things out there that like the, the goings on in their lives that I don't know. So those are the things I try to impart, you know, um, generally, this is kind of a a sweeping assumption, but like Thomas, these people have things like everybody has a thing or a, a thing going on in their life or things that are big or small. Our things are not, that bad. You know, we can manage what we need. We have what we need. Um, We're happy. We're healthy. You have the care you need and the schooling you need. Uh, Other people have bigger challenges. And even though they're bigger and maybe they don't have the resources to address them fully, they still deserve to have the basic needs met. So like, that's why we need to be kind to people. That's why we need to help out when we can. Mm -hmm. It's, I hate to try to wrap it up in a pretty package with a bow because I know it's not really like that, but in general, like, try doing things that are right and that help people and, and things like that, knowing that you are also like somebody who needs grace and support and like unconditional love and just things like that. Um, I mean, it's not a perfect lesson and I'm sure I get it wrong a lot, Mm -hmm. but those are the things that I just want him to know and, and do not just know, but do.
0: Yeah. And this kind of goes back to where we started with this idea of, Sort of this universal message that's also really individualized. Like I think that any person can take what you just said, right? We all have things. We're all people in need of grace and mercy and support. Every person is, right? And that that we act in ways that make the path a little bit lighter to tread for those other people around us who also have things and needs, right? And so it is really a, yeah, yeah, a universal-ish, yeah. <laughs> can I say that? Universal-ish idea, but it's universal without being yeah. normative, right? So it's, it's, it's without you yes. saying like, hey, yes. you need to act like a normal person. No, rather you're saying, it seems to me, Thomas, I want you to think about and act with goodness, right? Because everyone needs goodness. And because everyone needs goodness yes. that includes you. Right. And so so we have to take the perspectives of others and act with that goodness because we ourselves also
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That, I'm shaking this, my head yes kind of as kidding. you're speaking because yes. Yes. Um, there doesn't need to be, I don't think there's a thing that people need to be put forth. Like, well, I'll be good to you if you behave in X way or, or if you were this kind of person or you do these kinds of things, like it's not a transaction. It's just a way to be. People deserve to be treated well, regardless of what they can offer you, regardless of what they've done. Um, and maybe even in spite of what they've done.
0: Yeah. I think that's really beautiful and really important right? This sort of reframing of the motive behind why we act <laughs> yeah. in a goodly way, like wh- why we are good to each other, right? Because it's not a transaction, but because we are humans and this is what we need. Thank you so much, Amber, for your vulnerability, for um, yeah. sharing Thanks. all of these things and working them out with me a little bit. <laughs> it's so good to to sort of come to a conversation like this and, and not necessarily have a plan for where it's going to go just so that we can both grow from it. Of course. Thank you so much. It's something I love
1: to to talk about. I love, um, sort of opening it up for others to consider because it might not have been their experience. And, you know, even if there's a, I don't know, a person in their life who they can just sort of reframe their thinking about or, um, just reframe how they support their friends or something like that. That's good enough for me.
0: I just have one last question. If there were a resource or something that you might point my listeners to, um, to sort of grow their learning or keep thinking what
1: might that resource okay. be? Okay. So there are one. two that I, that come to mind based on my experience with um, mental health care and just like postpartum resources and, and needing support and things like that afterwards. So I would say um, this is specific to parental mental health. So one is, a, is local to Portland, Oregon. It's called Baby Blues Connection. And what Baby Blues Connection is, is a, a collection of peer mentors who staff a phone line and a text line for mothers and fathers. And it's it's, it's uh, mothers, fathers, caretakers. So um, parents, anybody who's taking care of a baby or helping support a baby, um, they can call or text and they are just connected with people who are trained to talk about just the really tough times with parenthood. They have groups that you can attend. I believe they're online these days, but their website kind of outlines that for you. So that's one thing that's, again, local to Portland. And then the um, sort of offshoot of that is something called Postpartum Support International, which is a line that anybody can call from anywhere that is, again, a similar thing, but just cast a wider net location-wise. So anybody can call the, the PSI helpline. Um, and I'll give you the number in case it makes sense to include it. It's 1-800- 944-4773. You can also text in English or Spanish, and it's, again, just a resource that's free that if you need it now, if you're struggling, even if you aren't sure if you're struggling, um, I didn't really know until about six or nine months after Thomas was born, that it was a problem and that what I was experiencing wasn't normal. So if there's doubt, if you're like, is, is this supposed to be happening and you feel like you need support, that's, that's when you should reach out. And I wish I would have known that because I think that would have, I wouldn't have felt so like heavy and alone for so long. So that's a, my, my, my closing message is if it feels off, if you feel like you need support, don't feel like you're putting somebody out because, you are a person, again, who deserves care and love and support. um, And you're doing a big thing by taking care of a child who relies on you and you deserve comfort and love and support and all the, whatever that looks like, depending on what your situation is.
0: And that's a wrap on part two of our three-part series on disability. So next week, I'll be talking with my oldest friend in the world, um, Alexa Colella, about disability and particularly with regard to representation and inclusion in American culture. If we're not talking about disability in an intersectional way, then we're not really talking about disability in a responsible way. So more on that next week. I hope you'll join me thank you so much for spending time with me this week you are a beloved child and today for just a few moments you chose to be with me i'm so honored by that i hope you can feel how much you are loved if you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us will you invite them to the diamonds for our children community help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform. Or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple Podcast app, Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the DOC website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love that reflect light back onto the world.